Good morning. Yeah, it is a good morning, isn't it? This is a great morning. Happy Easter to you. Thank you. Sweet. You know, let's face it. Uh, most of the time in our culture, we use greetings with each other that are pretty meaningless. All right. I mean, we use these greetings with each other. And if we're honest and we stop and we think about it, they're pretty empty. And uh, we just kind of throw them out there to each other, right? They're just kind of to help us ease the awkwardness of not knowing how to begin a conversation with someone, right? They just kind of grease the wheels of, like, social interaction, okay? Like, probably the, the classic version of this is, is the greeting of, how are you, right? And, and there's variations of that. How's it going? How you doing? How you doing? Which is completely different, right? <laughs> Completely different connotations with that one. Um, but we say this with each other, and, and the whole, like, how are you? That is the question that we all ask that none of us actually wants to hear an answer to. Right? You are not expecting to hear an answer when you actually ask someone that. And if they do start to really tell you, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not trying to get, get that deep with you, right? Okay? It's kind of sad. That, that's kind of the way we are with greetings in our culture most days, they are meaningless. Most days, they mean very little. Most days, they're pretty empty. But not today. Not today. Today, Christians all around the world are greeting each other with this phrase that we echo back and forth where one says, he is risen, and the other answers back, he is risen indeed. Exactly. Not today. Today, this greeting means something to us. And it reminds us that one day, one man changed everything for the course of history. He defied everything that we have known to be true. And he redefines everything that we know to be true by raising from the dead. And today, our greeting means something. Today, our greeting actually means everything. So one more time, like we mean it because we actually do, right? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Today we are going to be looking um, at Matthew chapter 27 is where we're going to begin this morning with the story of the resurrection of Jesus. And we're actually going to begin just before his resurrection. Jesus has been crucified, put to death. There's no question left about his death. Jesus is dead. Jesus is dead. Jesus has been placed in the grave. And so we pick the story up actually on Saturday, the, the day between Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning. Seth and I had a great conversation this morning about how that day is this day that we don't really know what to do with a lot of times, right? It's referred to as, as Holy Saturday, and it's this day in between. It's a, the darkest day in history, when God is dead, what do we do with that? What do we have to say about that? And so most of the time we stay pretty silent on it. We don't even talk about it because we don't know what to do with that. But imagine what the disciples were feeling, the weight of what they were feeling that day. When they wake up on Saturday and they realize it was real, this was not a nightmare, this really happened Jesus is dead Jesus is dead and they have this this shock wave go through them of everything that they believe to be true 
had been proven false. And Jesus was dead. Because they didn't have the eyes to understand what was happening. They didn't know what to do with what they had just experienced in their grief and in their sorrow of losing a friend that they loved dearly. They were unable to see what was truly happening. And in that day, they are enveloped with grief and with sorrow. And that is what marks that day. It is a heavy day. It is the heaviest day in the history of the world. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? And so while they are in hiding over that during that day, the chief priests, it tells us, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who were the ones that cooked up the plot to put Jesus to death, are now at it again with their plotting and their planning, and they're making sure that he stays dead. Right? And so it says that they go on this day, on this Saturday, it says that they went to Pilate who was the Roman official who oversaw the death of Jesus, who gave the final order to make it true and to make it happen. And so they go to to Pilate and, and, Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body, and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Jesus, help us as we explore this story today, as we celebrate what you have done, as we approach it, as we, as we come close to the moment that we're celebrating this morning. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts and minds to understand. We thank you for what you accomplished on the cross and we revel in what you accomplished in your resurrection. We celebrate it today. Help us as we study it, as we get into it. Teach us, shape us, form us. In your name we pray. Amen. So a, a few interesting things that stand out about, about this passage as, as this, this day in between, as they are going to Pilate and, and trying to set these plans into motion and continue these plans that they have made couple things stand out. The first is, is the way that they describe Jesus. They describe him as the deceiver. The deceiver, right? Uh, another version uses the word the imposter. That imposter while he was still alive, they say. And, and there's reason for, for them to use these two phrases, okay? And they actually kind of overlap with each other. The first title that they give to Jesus, the the idea of him being an imposter. Why would they say that? Well, because they've seen it before. Okay, the religious leaders had seen this before. They had seen people come along who claimed to be the Messiah that God was raising up to overthrow the oppressor and to set Israel free again. And and people had claimed to be this before and they came along and, and people would gather around them and excitement would build about them. 
and they would become a dangerous threat, and this insurrection would start to mount. And when they saw that happening, the religious leaders, as well as the Roman government, put it to death. And what they would do is they would target the leader himself. They would kill the leader, and in doing so, they would silence that movement. And the followers would scatter as the shepherd goes down. And it would be done. And it would be done. And as fast as it rose up, it was put to death. And so they planned to do the same thing with Jesus again. They see him as just another imposter, another person claiming to be the Messiah. And they're ready to, to just put him down like the rest. And they assume that it will end the whole thing. The conversation is over. They also refer to him as the deceiver. Now, this one is a little bit more sinister, okay? Because actually the word Satan, it roughly means deceiver. It roughly means deceiver. So they don't see him as just being somebody who is a nuisance. They see him as someone who is driven by evil, who is against God, who is the absolute antithesis to God, who doesn't have in mind the things of God, but has in mind the things of a different kind of kingdom. And what a claim to make about Jesus. What a claim to make about him. So they say these things about him. There are two kind of shocking observations as I look at this about what they understand Jesus to be. And the first is that they actually did hear his message, that they actually got his message. So the disciples are away hiding. They are in grief. They are in sorrow. They are not looking for a resurrection. Are they? It doesn't seem like they are expecting a resurrection. But the chief priests and the Pharisees, they remember what Jesus said. It seems like the disciples didn't remember. But these guys remembered. And they come back and they say, listen, there's something that he said while he was still alive. So let's just cut it out now. And so no rumors start to spread. Right? They remembered. Another interesting thing about that is that Jesus spoke very plainly about his resurrection in private to his disciples. He spelled it out very plainly. But most of the time when he talked publicly about it, he just used imagery and symbolism. So he stood at the temple and he said, tear down the temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And they understood, the chief priests and the Pharisees understood he wasn't talking about that temple He was talking about himself. And then he also says, when they ask him for a miraculous sign, he says, the only sign that I am going to give this generation is the sign of Jonah. What does that mean? What does that even mean? Well, if you remember in in the story of Jonah, Jonah is in the belly of the whale for three days and then comes back out. They understood. They knew what Jesus was saying. They knew what Jesus was saying, but his friends somehow missed the point. They're not looking for it, but the Pharisees and and the chief priests picked up on it. The other shocking observation to me is that in a sense, in a sense, they were right. By referring to Jesus as an imposter, in a sense, they were right. Only in this sense. If Jesus didn't come back to life. If Jesus wasn't raised back to life, then he was absolutely 
an imposter. He was absolutely a deceiver. As we look at what he said, as we look at who he claimed to be, if he did not resurrect from the dead, he is an imposter. And you know what that means for Christianity? Christianity is only as real and true and alive as Jesus is. So if Jesus was still in the grave, then so is Christianity. If Jesus is an imposter, then so are we. If Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead, then you and I are just fools living a lie. In a sense, they were right. But we know he didn't stay in the grave. We know that he was not an imposter, but he is the authentic son of God, the risen Messiah. Another interesting thing that happens here is, so the, the solution for this problem that they see coming, that they anticipate and that they're trying to cut off, is that they go to Pilate and they get like government-sponsored security to come along with them, right? And, and so Pilate says, yeah, take a guard and post a guard and, and keep watch and make sure this doesn't happen. And he says, secure the tomb the best you know how. The best you know how. And so they went to every extent to make sure that this thing was shut, that the case was completely closed. And they went to every extent to be sure of it. So they take along a guard. Does this mean that there was just one soldier? It sounds like it at first, but as we get further in the story, more soldiers are involved in this, in this situation, okay? So probably what's going on, we don't know how many, an exact number of how many soldiers there would have been, but probably there were at least four soldiers. Because if they were going to keep watch through the night, then normally the way it worked with the Roman soldiers is they would do a three-hour shift. Each would take one watch of the night. And they would do a three-hour shift through the night, so probably four soldiers to take care of a 12-hour kind of watch, right? And so probably at least four soldiers are involved in this. The other thing is that this is a sign, not just by numbers, but by their mere presence. The soldiers were a sign of the strength of the Roman Empire, okay? These people were trained, they were disciplined, and they did not fail at their duties because if they did fail at their duties, it would cost them their lives, okay? That's how intense this was as a Roman soldier. They did not take their duties lightly because it meant their lives would be lost if they failed. And so they're intent on what they're doing. They are ready. They are trained fighters, killing machines kind of situation to guard the tomb. It also says that they sealed the tomb, that they put the seal of Rome on the tomb, which means that the full authority of Rome is on this thing, okay? Rome has put its imprint on this, and for you to touch it when Rome has claimed it is a blatant attack and is is an act of treason against the emperor, and that just did not happen, okay? That did not happen. That would cost you your life if you did something like that. So they went to the full extent. They locked it up as best as they could. They did everything in their power to make sure that no lie could break in or could work its way in to the story of Jesus. They did everything in their power to make sure that the truth would be told about the body of Jesus. 
And by doing that, they actually supply witnesses that had no clue what they were stepping into, witnesses of what was coming. They stack everything against it. They've got their plans. They, they've thought through everything. They're prepared. They've anticipated everything, and they are prepared. They've got their plans. They've got the security. They've got the guards who are there, signs of strength, the very strength of Rome guarding this thing, right? They've got the seal on the stone. They have stacked every impossibility against this tomb, leaning up against this tomb, holding it shut. There's one other barrier, small barrier that I can't remember right now against this thing. Oh, yeah, Jesus was dead. All right. Jesus was unequivocally, most certainly, absolutely flat out dead behind the stone. And what happens? Here's what it says happens. Moving on to chapter 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I like that emphasis, and sat on it like what? Right? (laughs) So great. His appearance was like lightning. And his clothes were white as snow. The guards, the trained men, the disciplined men were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. That was their response when they saw him. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place Where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Now, there's a greeting that means something, right? Greetings, he said. They came to him, they clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Every impossibility stacked against the tomb, holding it shut. Everything is against it. The plans, the guards, the strength of Rome. And it meant nothing. It meant nothing because the bottom line of this story is not the brilliant plans of the chief priests and the Pharisees, not their airtight plans. The bottom line of the story is not how strong of an empire Rome was. The bottom line of this story is the stone was rolled away and Jesus was alive. And Jesus walked out alive. That is the bottom line of this. And that is is what we celebrate today. Today, we don't honor a martyr who courageously gave his life for a great cause. Today, we worship the Messiah, the living Son of God, the Savior, who by his own will laid his life down for us and by his own strength picked it back up again. 
That is what we are dealing with today. This is not an imposter. This is not a deceiver. This is as real as it possibly gets, as real as life itself. That is what we are celebrating today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Beautiful. On Friday, we stopped to observe and we mourned and we celebrated the death of Jesus. That the Son of God, the pure and spotless Lamb, would lay his life down for us. That the blood that he shed on the cross would cover our sins. And we mourned that. And as part of that, many of us were together and we shared in the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples on his last night with them. And in that meal, he broke bread. And he said, this bread is my body broken for you. And this cup, and he held up the cup, he said, this is my blood poured out for your salvation. And we remembered that. And we shared that together, remembering what Jesus did. Today, we're going to share in that meal again. But today, it has a decidedly different tone to it. Today, it is not a meal of mourning. Today, it is a meal of all-out feast and celebration. When we remember what has happened. And on this side of the empty tomb, the bread and the cup suddenly has a different kind of taste to it. It has a depth to it that we didn't know before, and we celebrate it. I find it interesting that they referred to Jesus as an imposter. But after his resurrection, it says that he met up with some of his friends who were walking on the road in the book of Luke. And it says they were walking along the road, and Jesus appeared to them, And they began to tell him everything that had happened. They didn't recognize it was Jesus. And he says, what's going on? Why do you look so depressed? Why are you so down? Hilarious, isn't it? And they began to tell him. They were like, haven't you heard? All of Jerusalem is talking about it. Jesus, who we thought was the Christ, has been put to death. He is dead. He is dead. And Jesus walks on with them. And when they arrive at their house, they invite him into their house. And Jesus sits down at a table with them. Suddenly, memory is beginning to stir, right? Jesus sitting at a table. And while he's sitting there with his friends, he picks up the bread. And it says he breaks it. And he pours out the cup. And he shares it. And it says in that moment, their memory was awake. And their eyes came open and they recognized who Jesus was. As he shared that meal with them again, not the imposter, the friend, the real thing, the one that they knew, the one that they knew and the one that knew them. And their response after it's all over is they looked at each other and they said, did not our hearts burn within us as we walked with that man? on the road all the way to our house, that witness inside of them alive and blazing that this is the real thing. Today we celebrate the reality of the resurrection of our friend who went to the cross for us, of our conquering king who picked his life 
back up of the one who gave himself in death and yet overcame death for us. This is the conquering king. We celebrate today this resurrected Lord. As we share in communion, we're going to do it. Sometimes we invite you to come forward and, and, to, and to take a piece and to dip it into the cup. Today we're going to do it a little differently. Today it's going to come to you. And there are pieces of bread in the basket that are going to come to you. And there are also cups of the juice, okay? We don't want you just to get a little tiny dip of the juice. We want you to have enough to savor, all right? And to remember the celebration. The one that they thought was an imposter. The one who proved himself to be the authentic, real, living, risen son of God. Today, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Son, thank you for the gift of your life. And spirit, thank you for the witness that burns inside of us, that tells us this is the real thing. And as we taste the bread and the cup today, may our hearts burn in us. May our hearts burn in us. Knowing that you are not dead, you are alive. And the bottom line of the story is the stone is rolled away. And you are alive. We love you. We worship you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.